Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Farmer and conservationist Joe Stanley joins us today to talk about the Allerton Project, a farm in Leicestershire which uniquely juggles farming and agricultural research on different farming methods for wildlife and the environment. As the Head of Training and Partnerships at the project and recipient of the 2020 Myrig Raymond Award for his work in the British farming industry, Joe is ideally placed to talk to us about the current lie of the land, his research findings and, globally, what the future of food looks like. As pressures mount post-pandemic on the British countryside from farmers, ramblers, biofuel producers, conservationists, rural locals and urban visitors, this is a timely discussion on the trajectory of our green and pleasant lands. Thank you for joining us today, Joe. Um, how would you describe your day job and the farm? Thanks for having me, Harry. So, yeah, my, my background personally is as a farmer. So um, for, for 12 years, I was a, a full-time farmer on my own farm, farming arable and beef and also dairy back in the day. But at the moment, I'm at the, the Allerton Project, um, the GWCT Allerton Project. And our role is, as you say, to, to investigate and to research sustainable farming practices. And we've been doing that for the last 30 years. So we're very unique, actually, within the UK uh, in that we have um, uh, a working uh, modern farm, about 300 hectares of arable and permanent pasture. But on top of that, we also have a very own uh, research department. So a full time team of research scientists who work on the site. Um, researching different elements of sustainable farming, whether that's from things such as habitat creation and you know boosting biodiversity, uh, or whether we're now um, obviously quite heavily involved in looking at things like farmland uh, carbon storage. So it's a it's a really interesting place to be. And my role essentially within that, with my farming background, is to sit between the farm and the scientific research department, and then the outside world, and to link all of those three things together. So that we're really getting that that evidence base that we're creating and have been creating for the last 30 years at the Allerton Project um, out into the um, into the wider industry and also into wider society. And your arable and, and sheep farming, is it commercial as well as a research project? No, absolutely. And that's why we are unique. You know, we are a we are a 300 hectare, um, so quite an averagely sized farm, you know, a decently sized farm. We are a commercial enterprise in our own right. You know, we grow crops, we sell crops and sheep as well. Um, But yes, we're also doing within that um, really landscape scale research projects as well. So um, it's a really unique place to be working, you know, and it's very rare for very long term projects to be carried out on the same place, um, especially when it is a commercial working farm as well. So we've got some really good long term data sets on uh, the Allerton project. And as well as data sets on arable and sheep, you also have mature woodland. How do you extract value from that or keep it commercial? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a huge amount. You know, the majority of the woodland in the UK is obviously held on agricultural holdings. So it's incredibly important that that is managed in as productive and sustainable way as possible, just as is our farmland. So, um, you know, within the Allerton Project, we have about uh, 20 hectares of woodland. Uh, and it's important that we, yes, we do manage that in a sustainable way. And, you know, when we do, and of course, woodland management is actually one of the most controversial aspects of rural landscape management. 
um, it's very easy for local communities to get quite upset when they see woodland management being practiced. All too often, all they can see is trees being cut down and they, they just associate that naturally being a bad thing for the environment. But of course, it's incredibly important to, to, to make the point that in many cases, management of woodland is an important part of enabling a, a stable, sustainable ecosystem within that woodland. You know, you want to have a diversity of life, especially at the lower levels, especially at the ground level within woodland. And if left unmanaged, it can become, um, you know, quite rapidly, quite low in biodiversity. You can't get a lot of light reaching the, the, the forest floor. Um, so it can be important to, to manage that woodland sustainably in order to boost biodiversity within it. And of course, it's also then important, what do you do with um, the material that you get out of that woodland? So, um, you know, when we clear areas, of course, you've got that, that material which can be used as, as construction materials. It can be sold uh, and the carbon within that wood can be locked up. But of course, also, um, you know, our visitor centre is powered on biomass. So when we're thinning, et cetera, we can, uh, we can chip a lot of that thinner material that goes into our biomass boiler and that is a, a great low carbon means of generating electricity and heat so it's really important what you do with the materials that come out of those woods you know what you don't want to be doing is, is you know piling up and, and either letting it rot down or, or setting fire to it in the open because that's a, essentially a waste of a valuable and sustainable resource and that sounds like a form of farming diversity or diversification yeah, no, it absolutely can be. And of course, this will be increasingly important as we move forward. We know that government has strong targets for tree planting within the future farmed landscape. And also, you know, there's going to be an increased role in things such as agroforestry as well. So again, an increased use of trees in that sense. So working out, I think, a, a better national plan for what we do with our woodlands and how we manage our woodlands is going to be an important part of you know of our landscape mix going forward and of course you know the planting of trees is going to be an important part of how we try to mitigate climate change in future um, because agriculture and forestry are really unique within the economy of being the only two parts of our economy frankly which can actually not only you know reduce our emissions, but we can actually act as a sink for atmospheric carbon. And that's an absolutely vital point to make that, you know, agriculture and forestry really sit as the only means really by which we can actually start to mitigate against unfolding climate change. Um, other other sectors of the, of the economy can really only reduce their contribution to climate change. It's really interesting. We've already touched upon um, farms being a carbon sink and zero carbon farms. We'll, we'll save that for later on, if that's OK. You've done a range of things. Um, for example, you've written a book, Farm to Fork, and you've hosted BBC Breakfast at the Allerton Project. Why are you vocal personally about farming and food? Well, it's, it's incredibly important that people understand where their food comes from and you know, what impact that has on uh, on sustainability, essentially, especially when we're looking at the biodiversity and climate crises. If you don't know anything about a topic, if you don't understand a topic, it's really very difficult to care about a topic or to act in a meaningful way to improve your own, uh, if you like, environmental footprint, especially around food. So what I'm really passionate about is championing more sustainable farming methods. And we all know that Agriculture and food production is constantly in the news as, um, you know, depicted as one of the leading causes of environmental destruction around the world. Now, there is a huge problem with global agriculture when it comes to basically environmental issues. 
But what I'm very proud of and what I'm constantly trying to show people, to demonstrate to people, is that within the UK, we actually farm in a comparatively very sustainable manner to many other countries around the world. Um, you know, for example, um, it's, it's often quoted that agriculture contributes a third of global greenhouse emissions. Well, in the UK, our contribution to, to national greenhouse emissions is around 10%, despite the fact that we actually control uh, or, you know, farming um, is present on 70% of our land area. Agriculture only actually contributes around 10% of UK emissions. If we're looking at something like beef, uh, which, of course, is constantly in the media as, as really a huge environmental problem. You know, in the UK, our beef production as a, you know, our carbon footprint of our beef production is actually two and a half times lower than the global average. And if we're looking at, I think we might come on to the issue of trade later, but if you're importing beef from a country where they're committing uh, environmental destruction from deforestation in order to produce beef, actually, the Sustainable Food Trust has demonstrated that the carbon footprint of beef imported from those systems is 80 times higher than that which we are doing, uh, that we can produce in this country. So obviously that makes absolutely no sense. And what, you know, agriculture the world over is a sliding scale of sustainability. And we are comparatively highly sustainable in this country. Now that doesn't mean that we can't improve and that we mustn't, you know, we must, we must improve how sustainable uh, our production is in this country. But we're already starting from a very good base. So my huge passion is to try and, um, try and demonstrate to people how we should be very proud of our domestic production in this country. We should safeguard our domestic production, whether that's on the environment, whether it's on you know, climate change, whether it's on animal welfare. We have a great story to tell in this country, and I'm incredibly passionate about you know, educating people about that, and especially people who don't have a connection to the countryside, which is, you know, as, as you say, why I, um, why I wrote my book, Farm to Fork, which is basically just trying to demonstrate to people with no background knowledge of farming the basics of what we do in this country to try and really connect people um, with where their food comes from, because we all eat three meals a day. You know, food is incredibly important to all of us. And it's also something which I feel that too many people have completely lost their connection with. Um, and that can be a dangerous thing when we're making choices, especially around sustainability. One of the aims of the project, as well as reminding people about the connection that they should have, to food and farming is also to engage a younger audience and nurture future farmers, I presume. Um, have you had much success conveying your passion? No, absolutely. So, so the Allerton project was set up with this, this research remit, but also with an educational remit. And so only, uh, you know, we're speaking on a Monday. Uh, on Friday, we actually had a, a large group of sixth formers come around from a local school who were studying biology. And um, they came to to hear about what we, we what we had to say in our research, but also uh, to do their own research out in the field. You know, they were doing a, an A level project around uh, mapping uh, and biodiversity. But the questions they were asking were absolutely fantastic. You know, they um, they really got engaged with the issue of farming and food and environmental sustainability uh, on a much wider level than um, than sort of what they'd come to actually discuss on the day. And it's amazing how when you start to have these conversations with people and, you know, especially with young people, you can see it really starts to make them think. Because, you know, for example, when, when, again, when we're talking about environmental sustainability, one of the phrases that you'll see repeated over and over again in the media is, we all know that the single biggest thing you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint is to move to a plant-based diet. And that has been repeated so many times now that it has become uh, an accepted and an established fact. 
And that's one of those things that, you know, these young people were most worried about. Well, should we be eating less meat? Um, is that the best thing I can do if I'm concerned about the climate? And in actual fact, within the UK, there's data which demonstrates that actually, if we were to make that shift to a plant-based diet, you're looking at reducing your personal carbon footprint by around 2% because of the sustainability of the methods that we have to produce beef in this country um, and other ruminants. So it's really important to get to people, you know, especially at school, because these are the consumers and the decision makers of tomorrow, and to actually lay that evidence out there. Because the danger is that if you don't, then people will start to think that the solutions to, to, the, to the problems that we face today, and you know, this is more wider than you know, environmental sustainability, but as a more general point, that if they are sort of working on false information, then you can't make good decisions going forward. So yes, it's absolutely vital to, to especially engage with these young people. And it's great. No, it's really good to see people come onto the farm. Uh, you know, we're involved as well with organisations such as the Country Trust to bring, you know, um, underprivileged young people on as well. And this might be the only time they've ever been to a farm before. So, yeah, you can get some really, um, you know, questions around people not understanding where milk comes from, where meat comes from, what wool is, uh, where their loaf of bread comes from. And it's really important, yeah, just for people's, um, you know, knowledge and education, just to let them know those real basics of, of the food system. That's really heartening to hear people are back out on fieldwork visiting the farm. There is, of course, an escalating biodiversity crisis, which is linked to the global climate crisis, which we've already touched upon. The Living Planet Index, which rates biodiversity, has been falling uh, worldwide since the 1970s, with scientists warning of another mass extinction. There are, as we've already discussed, a myriad of different required responses from industries across the country. But what can farmers do? specifically? Again, if we're just looking at agriculture, it's clearly globally one of the big drivers of biodiversity um, decline. And, you know, farmers the world over have to put their hands up to that. At the same time, we do have to appreciate that there are many other factors at play as well. Um, you know, from, you know, just frankly, the, the scale of the human population, urbanisation, pollution, etc. But within the UK, you know, there's absolutely no doubt that, as with everyone else, we need to be moving towards more sustainable farming methods because we have seen that decline in biodiversity, as has been seen, you know, around the world. You know, if you look at our farmland bird numbers, invertebrate numbers, really for the last 50 years, they, they have been in significant decline. So, yes, farmers, as custodians of 70% of the land area of the UK, we are clearly those best placed um, to to arrest that decline and also to reverse that decline. And, you know, um, if you look back over the past two decades, an awful lot more focus has been put onto farmland agri-environment schemes. So we're not, we haven't just been looking at food production. We have been looking more at the environmental element of what farmers deliver, because, of course, that's absolutely vital and the two go hand in hand. And what we're looking at now going forward is really an even greater focus, uh, having left the European Union, the government's focus is now, to an even greater extent, focusing on environmental issues within the countryside. Now, there are certain um, concerns around that, but um, what we can demonstrate here at the Allerton Project is that farming, food production and the environment can absolutely thrive side by side. And you know, we are not an organic farm um, at the Allerton Project. You know, 98% of the UK agricultural uh, industry is non-organic, so they use you know, synthetic fertilizers and synthetic plant protection products uh, within their production systems. And obviously that can be especially a concern when it comes to arable production systems. But what we can demonstrate at the Allerton Project 
is that those conventional non-organic production systems can absolutely sit side by side with a thriving natural environment. Um, and even though our site is only about 300 hectares, so you know, not a particularly large farm, um, but we have absolutely bucked the trend over the last 30 years of biodiversity decline, whether that is around many species of invertebrates, or especially our farmland bird numbers, uh, are absolutely thriving. And since we introduced more nature-friendly farming methods back in the early 1990s, our farmland bird numbers, for example, um, of key red and yellow listed species, are increasing at between five and 10 times the rate of the regional average around us. So you know, what we do is we're bringing more habitat back into the farmed landscape. So we actually have about 13% of our arable area permanently taken out of arable production and put into uh, essentially habitat creation, whether that's for pollinators, uh, whether that's for small mammals, other invertebrates, ground nesting birds. Uh, we also you know, do supplementary feeding for wildlife and predator control, which is an important element of enabling certain at-risk species to thrive. So um, in, in so doing that, um, we are also still at the same time producing large amounts of high quality, nutritious food. And that's what we believe um, that farmers can do going forward. We just need to put the right framework in place on every farm to have um, those environmental and nature friendly areas around you know, the farmed, if you like, in inverted commas, the intensively farmed areas. The two can absolutely exist side by side and are mutually beneficial. Your comment there about taking 13% of your arable land out of production, is that due to soil control and enrichment as well? Or is that specifically just for biodiversity and, and woodland? So yeah, that 13% is is land essentially permanently taken out of uh, the arable rotation and put into uh, grass margins, put into things like beetle banks to encourage beneficial crop pest predators into large arable fields, put into pollen and nectar margins. Uh, and put into options to reduce um, soil erosion. Actually, there's another 35% of our arable area, which is in rotational options, so still within an arable rotation, but we're using things like diverse grass species mixtures, um, you know, leguminous and herbal lays within an arable rotation uh, to improve soil health, cover crops, things like that, to improve soil health around our cash crops. So yes, uh, and again, that is boosting our productivity and our profitability. Um, so it's again, it's about that mixed landscape, leaving aside space, you know, essentially permanently for nature. 13 percent. You know, we are a demonstration farm for this. You know, it does not need to be that high. We've got evidence which proves around about 5 percent of a farm taken out of, if you like, again, in inverted commas, intensive production and put aside for nature. That is enough to to halt and reverse declines in key species. Um, but, you know, we're running at around 13 percent. To be fair, Again, it will depend on the on the farm. We are um, a pretty marginal farm in our in terms of our soil type. We have very heavy clays. Uh, we've got some very challenging areas on our farm. So actually, it's quite easy for us to find 10, 15 percent of our arable area, which frankly is better off in environmental options than it is trying to grow, um, you know, high yielding crops. The reason why I wanted to build on that point about soil is that um. In the past, and actually in the geography curriculum, the quote that we have 60 harvests left that I think originated from a UN official some years back is often repeated and used in, in various arguments. Uh, is that a concern of yours at the Allerton Project? Is that something that's discussed in, in agricultural circles? 
So the soil health and productivity is 100% something which should concern all of us, certainly within the agricultural industry, policymakers, you know, uh, soil as, as a species is really our most vital resource. The, the, the 60 harvests figure is somewhat controversial in as much as, um, you know, a lot of people have tried to get to the bottom of that and, and have basically not find, found any scientific rationale behind it. It was then picked up by Michael Gove when he was Secretary of State at DEFRA. Um, and it has since sort of been repeated again, as as with kind of my previous point around plant based diets versus uh, versus meat, um, you know, including meat in your diet. It's been repeated so many times that it has become an accepted fact. Now, if we were only to have 60 harvests in, left in our soil, then, yes, that would effectively be the end of human civilization. We are not at that point, um, which is not to say that in some places around the world, soil is being managed in an unbelievably unsustainable manner. And in certain places around the world, yes, I mean, soil is rapidly being turned completely unproductive, whether that's because it's being washed away because of salination or because of pollution. But again, if we're just looking at the UK, you know, our soils are in relatively good condition, but we absolutely have to have more of a focus on soil health in the UK because at some point in the future, they are stuck, they will become decreasingly productive and that is a concern for all of us because of course soil it's not just there to grow food in uh, it provides a huge number of natural capital benefits you know it provides clean water it provides carbon sequestration uh, it provides habitat and so on and so forth um, so we do as an industry need to have more of a focus on soil health this is something which we've done an awful lot of work on at the Arton project you know everything from again uh, carbon sequestration in our soil which helps build fertility um, more than you know as much as anything else to just keeping our soil on the fields, you know, not allowing it to wash away over winter, for example. And there's lots of things that farmers can do about that. Now, some farmers are very far ahead on this journey. Some are, are less far ahead and we need to encourage them to catch up. But yeah, the, the 60 harvest figure is, is, I think, one of those bits of hyperbole, which has kind of got into the common vernacular. But 100%, we do need to do more work on soil. There's a lot we don't understand about soil. It's an incredibly complex ecosystem, which we're really only just starting to understand. So we need to do a lot more research on it. And we do need to do a lot more to safeguard it. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I've just started a few projects on soil. And coming from a, a relatively knowledgeable background, I, I found it fascinating. And, and I've been surprised by how little I, I actually knew. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, previously within, if you look at agricultural colleges or, or schools, really, um, you know, soil health has is, is always been sort of said to come down to effectively how much nitrogen, potash and phosphate uh, is in the soil and what the pH of the soil is. And that's really all that anyone's been told for the last 50 or 60 years. And that's kind of led an entire generation or two generations of farmers to completely ignore the biological aspect of soil, um, you know, the, the biodiversity that lives within soil, the microbes, the, the mesofauna, the microfauna, and also the soil organic matter. And we've lost a huge amount of all of that in the last 50 or 60 years because we kind of come to believe in the post-war period that we didn't need to worry about any of those traditional farming techniques anymore. Uh, and that has, I think, proved to be short-sighted. Uh, and that's something that we're now, um, you know, hoping to try and reverse. And you mentioned a moment ago about uh, carbon sequestration and nitrogen, of course, cycles through the soil. Why are these elements important? Could you elaborate on that? So within an agricultural production system, nitrogen is the key nutrient for crop growth and productivity. 
And obviously, prior to um, really prior to the Second World War, this productivity really primarily came from a yes, manures and grazing livestock, uh, and also you know things like clovers within a rotation and fallow periods. But since the Second World War, as I've previously alluded to, we started to see a huge increase in the use of synthetic nitrogens converted from atmospheric nitrogen by the Harbour Bosch process. And that has allowed farmers to apply far more quantities of nitrogen to their crops than was ever the case previously, just using organic uh, nitrogen. Um, And that has allowed an absolutely huge increase in agricultural productivity across the globe. And it's thought that today, up to 4 billion of our 8 billion um, people living on the planet are supported, are able to survive because of food produced as a result of synthetic nitrogen. The problem with that is that synthetic nitrogen also comes with a hefty environmental cost. A large amount of gas is required in its production, which has a huge carbon footprint. About three quarters of the average UK arable farm's carbon footprint comes from uh, the use of synthetic fertilizer. So that's obviously a huge problem from a net zero point of view. But also, of course, there is environmental issues around things like eutrophication of watercourses from the leaching of nitrates from the fields, because you know, crops only take up around 60 or 70 percent of the nitrogen applied to the field. So the rest of that is is going somewhere. So these are all challenges that have to be faced. Um, but ultimately, the today, with the way things stand, we need the use of synthetic nitrogen within our agricultural systems in order to support the global population. And that is going to be the case for a long time to come. So with nitrogen, the key is working out how we can use it most efficiently and how we can reduce the carbon footprint of the production process to reduce our environmental impact of, of using that. And again, within the UK, you know, our use of nitrogen has declined significantly in the last 30 years as we've learned basically how to use that product more efficiently. And with the rise of new technologies, things like, uh, you know, satellite mapping, uh, real-time mapping from a tractor, it's going to be, you know, uh, we're going to be seeing the use of nitrogen decline ever further as we try to improve the the, um, nitrogen use efficiency of the crops that we're applying these, these products to. And just to pick up further on carbon specifically, Joe, can we talk about why carbon sequestration is important in farming? No, absolutely. So, so soil organic matter, uh, which links directly to soil organic uh, carbon levels, is incredibly important for a fertile, productive soil. It's actually that, that organic matter within a soil, which essentially enables it to sustain both productive agriculture and to a large extent life. It's the organic matter. And of course, that's you know, the decomposing, uh, whether it's manures, whether it's plant matter or anything else organic that is, is essentially decomposing in the soil. It provides a huge amount of of short-term nutrition to the soil. It allows the soils to actually aggregate. So you actually get the aggregation of soil particles into larger particles, which then actually form a healthy and well-structured soil. But also that soil organic matter then, a fraction of it will become uh, actually locked up long-term within a soil as soil organic carbon. So there's a lot of cycling of short-lived soil organic matter which provides nutrition or it's you know, decomposed by microbes and is released into the atmosphere. But you're trying to actually have some of that soil organic matter actually then be locked up on a longer term within the soil. And the key, you know, what, what we're looking at here with an eye to the future, the absolute key to soil organic carbon levels uh, within agricultural soils is that that is one of the potential uh, solutions to, to climate change. We can actually draw down atmospheric carbon into our soils via decomposing organic matter, 
and we can actually hold that atmospheric carbon within our soils. You know, we've been digging a hell of a lot of it up from, uh, from the ground and burning it as fossil fuels over the last 250 years. We actually need to start taking some of that carbon back out of the atmosphere and locking it back up in the ground. And farmers can achieve that by, by um, choosing certain agricultural practices, such as reduced tillage, in order to um, essentially try and reduce the amount of um, matter, organic matter which is being lost from the soil via oxidation. And again, over the last 50 or 60 years, ever more continuous tillage has reduced the stock of soil organic matter in our agricultural soils by between 40 and 60% across the UK. So if we can start to reverse that trend to build those organic matter levels and those organic carbon levels back up in the soil, not only can farms um, reduce their contribution to greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which currently stands at around 10%, but we can actually become a net sink for carbon within the economy. And that's very exciting. You know, we need to move from carbon neutrality, which British farmers hope to hit by 2040, to a situation where we're actually absorbing the carbon from the rest of the economy and helping the rest of the economy to move towards a net zero position by 2050. Whilst at the same time, that soil organic carbon will also help to improve the fertility and resilience and productivity of our farmland soils in a virtuous circle. It's very interesting. Actually, last year I did a bit of work on a place called Bottom Farm in Northamptonshire, which I think was one of the first zero carbon farms. And they specialised in um, a range of oils, cooking oils. And I think from memory, the farmer uh, enacted a lot of what you've just suggested. That's right. Yeah, we work with Bottom Farm. Uh, Duncan Farrington is the farmer there. And yeah, he produces rapeseed oil, uh, the mellow yellow rapeseed oil. And that is the, the world's first, I think, completely carbon neutral cooking oil. No, absolutely. By, by uh, introducing, I think, what are now quite uh, fashionably called regenerative farming practices into his uh, arable rotation. So, you know, reducing soil disturbance, uh, increasing the amount of soil cover from plants and, and crop residues. And, and importantly, increasing the amount of organic matter going into his soils. Absolutely. Um, he's doing some great work there, uh, moving his farm into a, a, an actual carbon negative situation. You know, he's actually absorbing more CO2 from the atmosphere than he's actually producing through his farming operations to produce that product. And that's what we need to see a lot more of, um, certainly from British agriculture going forward, so that we can really be a part of the solution to climate change rather than you know, part of the uh, part of the problem. It's not just trees which are capable of absorbing uh, atmospheric CO2. Soils and grasslands actually have potentially a much greater ability uh, within the UK to do that, whilst at the same time still producing high quality food. As we move away from the EU common agricultural policy towards independent UK legislation, what will be the main differences between? what we've been discussing about nitrogen and, and carbon sequestration or what's grown on European versus British farms? Well, time will tell. Remarkably, even though we're now seven years on from, you know, ultimately um, the, the Brexit referendum, um, we are still in the process of developing an agricultural policy for England. Uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales is a devolved issue and they're, you know, frankly, they haven't really started to develop their successor schemes yet. They're still continuing essentially with the common agricultural policy in those countries for a number of years yet. So the broad outlines of English uh, agricultural future policy are 
a greatly increased emphasis on environmental management, you know, primarily habitat creation for reversing biodiversity loss. Um, Whereas the common agricultural policy, essentially, for the last 20 years, certainly has tried to balance food production and food security for Europe with environmental actions as well. You know, the days of grain mountains and and milk lakes are are decades in the past, um, even even if that might not be the sort of common perception of the common agricultural policy. In the UK, we're really flipping it on its head completely. And, you know, future agricultural policy in the UK, as it stands, really makes very, very little mention of food production, uh, the farming and and food production element of of UK, of, of English agricultural policy is very thin indeed. And of course, that means that the, the, the large majority of the focus is, is going to be on environmental improvements. Now, this is to be welcomed, of course. And as I say, we need to be able to farm in an increasingly sustainable manner. Um, you know, between now and 2050, um, the remarkable stat is that we're going to have to produce more food in the world to feed a growing population of 10 billion by 2050 than has been produced in all of human history. But we're going to have to do it a hell of a lot more sustainably than we have done up to this point. The problem with English agricultural policy as it currently stands is that we are looking as a very likely drawdown of of domestic food production in order to focus almost entirely on environmental management within the UK. Now, that's good in terms of, you know, as far as it goes, uh, encouraging a reversal of the decline of biodiversity uh, and as well, potentially, uh, that will help the UK onto its net zero pathway by planting more trees, etc., and putting agricultural land into tree planting, potentially. But the problem is, if we are going to focus almost exclusively on environmental management in the UK and then offshore our food production abroad, what is the carbon and biodiversity impact of that food which is going to be produced abroad? And that is the huge question. So at home, UK farmers, or at the moment specifically English farmers, are being asked to take land out of production to reduce the intensity of production uh, in order to favour larger areas of essentially uh, land return to um, to biodiversity and to wildlife. Whilst at the same time, we're signing trade deals with countries around the world who have incredibly poor environmental records, and it's their food that we are now looking to buy in. And, you know, the idea that it's, it's cheaper um, and therefore everyone benefits. But of course, that cheap food comes at a huge environmental cost. And that is the big dichotomy within UK policy at the moment. Higher levels of um, sustainability at home, which is good, but offset by very low levels of sustainability in the food that we're then subsequently importing to replace that. And that's, you know, uh, habitat loss, that's water usage, that's things like welfare, antibiotic overuse. These are all issues which, frankly, are not being addressed at the moment. And of course, that essentially means that you're uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're not really getting anywhere. You know, climate change, biodiversity loss, it doesn't stop at the borders. And we need to be actually addressing this as a whole um, rather than thinking we're doing a good thing at home whilst ultimately we're actually making our, our, our imprint, our footprint as a country worse. And with that um, added emphasis on higher levels of sustainability in UK agriculture, is there a, a danger that food will become more insecure? I'm thinking of um, the recent reports of problems around exporting nitrogen or wheat from Ukraine since since the war. Do you expect any future fallouts or any other problems in the future? 
at the moment in the UK, we produce roughly 60% of the food that we, we need as a country. And obviously that's hugely skewed between things like red meat, where we produce the majority, and fruit, where we actually only produce about 12% of the fruit that we that we actually consume in this country. So we're a huge net importer of things like fruit and vegetables. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the number of things which have occurred in the last few years to highlight the dangers of relying on extended supply chains abroad are staggering. You know, we, we had, uh, obviously we've had COVID and we've seen the issues around food supply and panics in the supermarket around COVID. Similar when we, we saw, um, uh, you know, the, the concerns around our final actual exit from the European Union and what that meant for our supply chains. And of course, those issues are still ongoing, especially if you look at what's going on between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. And of course, you know, things like the Suez Canal gets blocked by one ship and all of a sudden there's global supply chain crisis. And now, absolutely, the war in Ukraine, climate change, of course, is constantly um, and, you know, you've got the war in the Ukraine, which is being massively exacerbated by climate change and crop failures around the world to add on top of the fact that um, hundreds of millions of tons of grain are no longer coming out of Russia and Ukraine. So we've got this global food crisis. And the concern is that although the UK is, um, you know, we are a wealthy country and odds are we will always be able to source enough food to feed the population, although that won't be much comfort perhaps to those on the lowest incomes who are going to experience significant food price inflation, which will you know, add significant pressure, pressure onto them. Um, although we will probably never be in a situation in the UK where we are actually short of food, the problem is if we're on an international market buying up food that we could have produced ourselves, which would otherwise have then gone to some of the poorest around the world, you know, we are already seeing massive food crisis shocks around the world, governments around the world are on the brink of falling, um, as we saw in the Arab Spring, because of food price crises. Now, in the UK, I believe we have a moral obligation to produce as much food as we can in as sustainable a fashion as we can, so that we are not out there essentially taking food off the global markets to feed us that should have gone to those on lower incomes who can't produce it themselves. And I think that's a really important point to make. And again, so there's a there's a moral issue here, quite apart from offsourcing our environmental footprint. But absolutely, we only produce about 60% of the food in this country that we eat. That's fallen from around 80, 85% in the late 80s. So we are becoming increasingly reliant on uh, extended global supply chains. And, you know, as we've seen in, in recent years, you can't even necessarily rely on your own closest allies to always be cooperative, and especially in a world of climate change and geopolitical instability. I think it's absolutely essential for every country to be able to, to produce as much of its own food as sustainably as it can in order to offset the potential risks from supply chain shocks around the world. We've almost already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it in case there's something else to add. What type of farming and landscape do you foresee for the UK in, in the 21st century, um, on top of what we've just been talking about? So we, we need to produce more of our own fruit and veg. That's absolutely clear, you know, uh, for our diets, as well as for our for the health of our um, you know, rotations, we need to be moving away from growing so much, you know, the bulk commodities like wheat and barley, uh, and we need to go back into a more diversified farming system, as we used to see, again, pre-war, uh, livestock and uh, fruit and vegetables and cereals and grass all being grown um, on the same farm. We need to move back towards a more balanced, healthy, mixed farming system. 
as the, the, the Allerton project, um, what we would see as the, um, as the blueprint for a farmed landscape is a mixed farming landscape, as I've just described, but also one that's bringing, uh, bringing wildlife into the landscape. It's taking uh, areas of land out within individual farms in order to safeguard biodiversity, in order to protect watercourses, and in order to sequester carbon. We believe that almost every farm has the ability to profitably have that mixed landscape, not just mix of farming techniques, but also that mix between farming and nature. Um, we don't believe that a rewilded landscape, um, as is currently very fashionable to talk about, is the future of the farm landscape. You know, individual wilding projects, of course, have their place, as, as there's, you know, individual reforestation projects. But we don't believe that that is a solution to either the food crisis, certainly, or uh, the loss of biodiversity. Actually, you know, our research would prove over 30 years that many of our rarest farmland species actually rely on a managed landscape. You know, they have become used to thousands of years of human cohabitation. So just reverting landscape to a wild state is not going to achieve the environmental um, benefits in many cases, in most cases, that you would like them to, even if it is quite an alluring concept. The concern at the moment is that, if you like, um, the Allerton template of this mixed productive farming plus environmental landscape is not going to be realizable because of potentially the direction of agricultural policy as we're seeing it being, um, being rolled out at the moment. And the concern is essentially that, you know, food production is not a profitable business. Farmers are very used to producing food below the cost of production, and that's in, all, in order to, of course, enable, um, you know, the cheapest food possible to be reaching supermarket shelves. And the concern is that without that profitability, you know, farms only take home about five, six, seven percent of the retail value of the food chain even though we're producing, you know, the food that's, that's ending up on the shelves. The concern is that without that underlying profitability, there's always going to be a reliance on, on government funding, as was the case under CAP and as is the case almost exclusively around the world, where public money props up food production um, as a public good. Now, the concern is that in future, we're going to see a, a large reduction in the money coming onto farms as a result of the new um, agricultural policy that we're seeing here in England. And that will result in one of two things, either significant areas of the landscape being rewilded effectively with farmers and landowners taking the money that will be on offer to effectively take land out of agricultural production entirely, or farmers will decide that what they will try and do to survive is to intensify production, to try and grow ever more food on their land and to actually take those environmental areas out because they don't feel that they are financially viable. So I'm very worried about both of those possible futures, um, because at the moment, as it stands, government policy is not going to enable farmers to have this wonderful mixed landscape use that we feel at the Allerton Project is, is the most sustainable um, future for, for farming. So much to consider, Joe. Thank you very much for joining us today. I almost finished by saying a lot of food for thought, but I didn't want to use the pun. Um, it's been really fascinating to, to speak to you. It's great. No, thank you very much, Harrison. That was good. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. 
access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.